0: to the word of the Lord here. Read the first six verses here of Acts chapter 12 tonight. Amen. We'll get into the word of the Lord. Also, don't forget that the third Friday of this month is family game night in the back starting at 730. Invite somebody, amen, to come and we can just have fun. Amen. Maybe get a foot in the door just with uh, showing that y'all not a bunch of sticks in the mud. but Amen. You have a smile on your face. Bless Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts chapter number 12. Going to begin with verse number 1 here this evening. The Bible says Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four uh, quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people, or after Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without seizing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, The same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Amen. I'm planning to get through chapter 12 tonight. I want to talk to you about found fighting against God. Last week, we talked about who could who could withstand God. Now, ironically, we find someone who was fighting against God, found fighting against God. God here this evening, Jesus, I come to you tonight, Lord, Lord, we're appreciative, Jesus, God, that your word is a living word. It's alive. God, it's sharper than any two edged sword. I pray, oh God, that it would cause Lord Jesus an incision to be made in our hearts and in our lives. Give us something, Lord, to consider, Lord Jesus, through the word of God tonight. Pray, oh Lord, every individual under the sound of my voice, God, that we'd open our hearts and minds to you. God, for what you would have, desire, and want God in this place, Lord, and we will give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name that we pray. in the church say, amen. 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 You may be seated tonight. We're good. glad to have our guests with us and ask the, the Lord tonight. Amen. Appreciative of them. Amen. Hallelujah. Found fighting against God. This chapter really kind of opens up with the age old reality that just when you think things are going good couldn't get any better going real real good something happens right or that is the way it seems to appear at times in life the chapters prior to this one we've seen things start to head in a very positive direction the church had been through persecution but it seemed like they were gaining some great ground the gospel had been spread to the gentiles uh the what would seem like almost the underground church in Antioch for the Greeks had just grew so much so that now they had to send representatives over there. Things could not be better. Uh, The door and the mindset, the Jews are being opened to receive their Gentile brethren. So things are on a very upswing positive note and everything seems to be well. Everything seems to be good. And then this chapter opens with these words, now about that time. In other words, about the time everything was... Man, firing on all cylinders. Everything was just in that upward swing. About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. Folks, let me tell you, it happens. And it will be the common rule of thumb, probably from now unto eternity, that when things go well, Paul said it right, when I would do good, evil is present with me, that that is the the untold reality of our lives. I wish I could tell you tonight why this happened. I wish I could tell you what it was in particular that provoked Herod, one of the Romans, to start vexing the church. I have no concrete evidence in scripture that just comes out in black and white says this is why Herod started to do what Herod did. This is why Herod started to vex the church. I have no concrete evidence tonight. Uh, in black and white in scripture, why he did what he did. Anything that I might say here this evening would just be my opinion of what I would think Herod did, why, why he did what he did. But no doubt the, the, the overarching reason behind all this was because it was the church. Put forth his hand to vex the church. The overarching reason is it was just the church. And so Herod started to vex the church. Now, you could get lost very quickly in the Herods. In New Testament scripture, uh, this 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 title or this office, this Herod thing that's spoken of, you could get very lost. You could get them twisted around. There are many different Herods. There's the Herod that uh, was in Herod the Great, known as Herod the Great, that was in control whenever uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The one that sought out to kill all of the children two age, years two years old and under in Bethlehem. Herod the Great, uh, but he's the grandfather of the Herod we're talking about. Uh, we could talk about the Herod that beheaded John the Baptist and the Herod that Jesus stood before on trial. That's a different Herod from that of, that of the Bethlehem children. That was Herod Antipas. This is not the Herod that we're talking about tonight. We're talking about this Herod in chapter number 12, uh, who is the one that killed James, according to Scripture, the Apostle James, who imprisoned Peter in this chapter, who by the end of this chapter is going to be the Herod that was eaten by worms. I know, just draw you a mental image right there. Eating of worms. There's going to come another Herod later that Paul's going to stand for and give witness. Uh, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, that he's going to stand before. The second, Herod Agrippa the second. But that's not this Herod. So knowing who our Herod is tonight. But nevertheless, he is vexing the church. And the means in which he does this, he kills. He kills James, the apostle James. The Bible says James, the brother of John, to denote what James it was. This was not the James that was the pastor of the New Testament church in Acts 15. This is not the James that wrote the book of James. That's the, the, the one who wrote the book of James as the half-brother of Jesus Christ. This is the James that was the brother of John. It is the apostle James. And although we have already had someone martyred in Scripture, Stephen, right? Back in Acts chapter number uh, 7, I believe it was, 6-7, seven, right in 7, that was martyred. James was the first of the apostles. He was the first of the apostles that was martyred for the cause of Christ. And the Bible says that Herod took James by the sword. And there's great meaning why he stated the sword, because according to the Jewish writings, the Talmud, according to the Jewish writings, uh, anybody that died by the sword did so because they thought that person had led the people away to a false god. And so when we understand that Herod took him by the sword because uh, he had been preaching Jesus, Jesus Christ. And Most people that did not understand or had not yet received the revelation of who Jesus was thought of him of some other God that these people were trying to support and lead people to. So you, this must have been very, very difficult, no doubt, for the other apostles. To hear that their brother James was being taken by the sword because the Jews and those Romans had thought maybe he was supporting another false god when in reality he was just preaching Jesus Christ. They hadn't yet, some of them still hadn't yet got the revelation that Saul got on the road to Damascus. That the Lord Jesus Christ was God and that Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. Hadn't quite got it yet. But this James that we're speaking of, this James and this John, they are brothers. They are the sons of Zebedee, the Bible says. And really what takes place here in Scripture for James and for John later is already been prophesied or spoken of back in the Gospels. If I can read to you where that plays out, Matthew 20 and verse number 20, the Bible says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? She said unto him, grant thee that these my two sons, this is James and John, may sit the one on thy right hand, the one on thy left hand and thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And the cup that he is referring to is the cup of suffering. He's referring to the cup that He prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering, even death. He said, Will they be able to drink of the cup that I am, that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They say unto him, We are able, confident about it. He said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared to my father. He said, you boys are right. You say you're able, you're going to be met with suffering. Even to the point, as it bears out in scripture, of death. James taken first, John much later being one of the last apostles to life be taken. On the aisle called Patmos that we read of all the visions and of, of the book of Revelation that John had. So James is taken by the sword. John later isolated an isle will called Patmos and the last of the apostles to be taken already bore out in the Gospels that that would indeed be the thing that would take place. But here's Herod. Herod's a Roman ruler. He, he found, what he found was after he killed James, he was well thought of in the eyes of the Jews. After he took James' life, he gained popularity among the Jews. And so being a political leader, Shaking hands and kissing babies. Being the political leader like he was, he found that he found favor by doing that. So if I found favor by doing one, I wonder how much more gain I can get by doing another. If this got me in the good eyes or good graces in favor of the Jews, I wonder if I took care of another one of these apostles, if that would get me a little further along. And so he played to their favor, being the political person that he was, and he decided he was going to do the same to the apostle. Peter for his own benefit. They might have thought he was doing it for the Jews, but he's really doing it for himself because I'm getting I'm getting their uh, their favor whenever I do this type of thing. And so he's hitting. If you look at it, James, now he's got his focus and crosshairs on Peter. He's hitting the leaders, if you will, of the early church. Remember, it was James and John and Peter, that inner circle of three that Jesus all times took apart. Did miracles took up the Mount of Transfiguration that nobody else of the twelve seen but those three, and so he starts in this 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 close inner ring of three. James is knocked off. Peter's going to knocked off. I don't know if he had a list and John was next on the list or not, but he's going through these leaders one at a time, and he's going to knock them off, take care of their life here upon the earth. And so as he turns his attention to Peter, he gets Peter, he incarcerates Peter. I believe without doubt that. Herod would have went on and taken care of Peter, too, had it not been for the feast of unleavened bread, had it not been for the feast of Passover that was taking place. So number one, Peter's first saving grace in this whole matter was the fact that a festival of the Jews was taking place the same time that he was apprehended. And Herod knew better to try to kill one of their own during their festival Because they wouldn't smile too kindly on you doing that during their festival. And so I want to stay in their favor. I don't want to get out of their favor. So the only best way I can do this is hold on to him throughout Passover. When Passover's over, I can kill him and do him away, and I'll get the best of both worlds. I will have honored their festival by not killing him during this time, but then I can kill him, and they'll be like, Yeah, here, whenever it comes time to vote next time, I'll have the Jews, buddy. I'm a political, I'm a political leader. That's what I do. And we got to understand though, Peter's going to prison. This is not Peter's first rodeo. This is not Peter's first prison. This is the third time that Peter has been imprisoned. And not only that, the two previous times he'd been successful about getting out of prison. He's kind of got a record going. More than one way. A record of getting in prison, but also a record of successfully getting out of prison. And so he's entering to prison now for the third time. And no doubt Herod also knowing Peter's success with not remaining in prison, he man shuts everything. He's going to maximum security this time. That meant we're going to have 16 soldiers. Yeah, really. There's four that watched him at a time. All right. There are three watches during the night four that watched him at a time. But so that's maximum security prison in those days. Okay. You just increase the people. And so we're going to set watches over him and there these four soldiers. And notice, he's, he's just not a prisoner that's chained with one arm to one, one soldier. The Bible says he had two chains. So on one side, he's chained to a soldier. On another side, he's, this is maximum security, folks. He's chained to another soldier. Got a couple other soldiers now watching the door. And whenever the watch changes, these men change out. And this is maximum security prison for Peter. And so he's in prison, all right? So Peter's first saving grace, there's a festival that's taken place. But Peter's second saving grace is in verse number, if I can find it here real quickly, is in verse number five. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison. Everybody say, but prayer was made without seizing of the church unto God for him. His first saving grace was the time of year because the festival, his second saving grace was prayer. Was made for him. Matter of fact, those two little words kind of changed everything in this story. It's like da 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 da, things were real good. Uh, now Herod's vexing the church. Da 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 da, James is killed. Peter is now imprisoned. But prayer. You could insert those two words in a lot of your own circumstances. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But prayer. It is a turning of a door on the hinge. But prayer, Thomas Watson, who was a uh, known Puritan preacher, he said this because we're going to read about how the angel of the Lord came down and delivered Peter uh, from that prison, that imprisonment. He said the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. (laughs) It was prayer that fetched the angel. And here's something I think that's important. For for, for for church believers of our age, pattern ourselves out of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. And that is this. If we unashamedly hold that repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the gift of the Holy Ghost is, is our means of obedience to the gospel for the New Testament church, we believe that, we stand on that, we preach that, and we purport that, then we must also incorporate prayer as they did. We must incorporate prayer as they did. The Bible says that it was made without ceasing, without ceasing. Another word for that is that they did it fervently. The Greek word for that it comes it has it, it, it has a both athletic and medical. It's an athletic and medical term. The Greek word for that it basically means this that in in terms of. Athletes, It would picture an athlete then straining every muscle as he puts everything into the race. In other words, on the medical side, it's the stretching of a muscle to its limits. And so if this term is then related to the stretching or to the extending of a muscle to its limits then the muscle for the context in which the scriptures use used here tonight must be alluding to prayer. They prayed without ceasing. Just reason here with me for a moment. If muscles can grow and become stronger through use, then prayer can do the same. In other words, what applies to muscles applies to prayer. Muscles, when they are stretched to their limits, find themselves stretched there through regular practice, increasing their limit. Brother Zach McGee could come down and probably give us a dissertation on this. But if you want to increase the limit of what your muscle can withstand... You got to take it to its current limit now. Yeah. If you want it to grow, if you want to increase, you got to take it to its certain limit. Now, prayer is the same thing. If you'll take your prayer to its limit now, you'll see that it will go beyond that limit later. Because you're stretching it. You're causing to put everything in it to press it to that place prayer. Now, I don't know. Here's what I don't know. Scripture doesn't say it's silent on this. I don't know if the church prayed for James. Because I don't know how quick this was. He vexed the church, he killed James. It's not like James we read in Scripture was in prison before he was killed. It's like the deed was done. So I don't know if the church prayed for James. I do not know if they prayed for him like they prayed for Peter. I have the slightest idea. The Bible does not say. But I do just just think here for a moment. Could it be perhaps... That they are eager to pray for Peter because of what's happened to James. Where he had one's life is taken. This guy's in prison. Certain death is around the corner. Could it be that their prayer was stoked by what the circumstances were going on? Amen. Nevertheless, folks, we are left with a situation in all this that we come to time and time again in our Christian lives today. And that is this. James was allowed to die Peter was imprisoned but finally rescued. And here is the quandary of people in their life today. Why is it that God will allow one to die and yet somebody else will be rescued? Why did James die and Peter rescued? Why couldn't James been rescued and Peter been rescued? Or why couldn't James been rescued and Peter died? This is the age-old question that lays upon the hearts and souls of people today. Why in the world was Peter spared and James not spared? And we could stand up here today, and I could talk till I was red in the face or blue in the face, whichever came first, and we could talk about it and talk about it, but the ultimate answer for all of this is this, and this is not an answer. We we don't like to grab this answer, hold this answer, hug this answer. It all comes down to this, the sovereignty of God, the power and the rule of God. He's God. God can do what God wants to do because I didn't make God. God don't have to answer to me. Bible says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. He doesn't receive counsel from another. I know that that's I'm not trying to be rude and crude, but I'm just trying to tell you today. That's really what it all comes down to. That is really the, 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 the brass knuckles of it all. God is gone. Job 2.10 says this. Here's Job and his calamity, everything he went through in his life, if you've ever read of it. The Bible says, but he said unto her, he spoke to his little wife in Job 2.10, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. She's saying just curse God and die because all this stuff that's taking place in her life and going on. And so the, the statement that sometimes arises in our spirits, probably more so if we're in situations like Job was or similar circumstances, this hell in the world, I cannot believe a loving God would do something like this. I'm serious, folks. People getting bitter toward God, resentful about God. Under circumstances like even Job himself had went through. But Job's basic plea to his wife is this. If we receive good at the hand of the Lord. Then should we not also expect to receive evil as well. From time to time. Amen. Should we not also expect to receive evil from time to time. Because what New Testament tells us. I've heard you all say it before. He reigns on the just. And the unjust. He's no respecter of persons, whether that goes with gifts and benefits of salvation extended to people or whether that goes with, as Job said, you know, man is a a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. The Bible says. Good and bad happen to good and evil, if you call it that people. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says these words. Again, God is just Sovereign. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. But there is a phrase there, and you can look at it in context in Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There's some things you don't have an answer for. You may never have an answer for. You can ask why all day long and not get an answer. Those things belong to God. That's hard to put our arms around, but that is. The way it is, Romans eleven thirty three says, "Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments!" And I never say His ways, His ways past finding out. Why did this happen to me, God? There isn't always a correct answer for that one, but one thing is for sure: His ways of times our past finding out. Now, that's enough of that. When the angel of the Lord, back to our story. <laughs> when the angel of the Lord come to rescue Peter the night before his execution, he found Peter asleep. That's just great. Peter's going to die tomorrow, and he's sleeping. I'm serious. I don't know if I could do that. But he's sleeping. He's sleeping between two guards. I mean, I'm asking myself, for one, this is, you know, prison, which is a whole lot different than even prisons are today. How in the world can you get comfortable being chained to two men? I mean, they're going to have to be in tandem with you when you want to roll over. You know what I mean? (laughs) Y'all just need to loosen up a little bit tonight. Y'all like starchy out there or something. And so how in the world is going to get comfortable And so, Peter, how how is it that you can lay to rest? So my mind starts thinking, you know, is is Peter leaning on the fact that this isn't his first time in prison? You know, I've been in prison before. I've been rescued. I've been I've I've came out of prison before. Two times I've come out of there. So was it the fact that, you know, this is just another time in prison and maybe he just has a little bit of, you know, it's going to turn out okay. Maybe he's just thinking. maybe maybe Brother Gregory, he's just thinking it's going to turn out okay. Or, as some have said, well, you know, maybe he took his lesson from Jesus because Jesus, whenever the storms was on the water, he was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. And so maybe he just took a good example from his master. Things can be chaos, but there's no reason to lose any sleep over it. So maybe he took his lesson from the Lord. Or could it be that Peter actually remembered the word of the Lord that had been spoken to him in John 21 in the Gospels? For the Bible says in John 21, verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God and when he had spoken this he said to him follow me could it be could it be brother Daniel that Peter's reflecting back upon these words that the Lord spoke to him and Peter just trying to just deduce some things you know what? I'm not I am not an old man yet and the Lord told me that there would be a day whenever I would be old that another would Gird me, And I don't, I'm not an old man yet, so this is not my last, this is not my last ride. This is not the end of my journey. And so, I don't know, maybe it was perhaps a conglomeration of a few of those different things that kept Peter, kept him at ease here and enabled him to find rest in the middle of the night, in the middle of his trial, in the middle of being chained to two soldiers. But one thing is for sure that we all need to recognize concerning Peter at this time uh, of his life and his imprisonments that he had. At this time of his life. This stage of the gang, Peter has the Holy Ghost. Peter has the Holy Ghost. He has that comforter. Amen. He has that comforter. He has that one that Isaiah said. And, and Jesus even said to himself. He is that rest wherein the weary can rest. He has that very spirit living inside of him. And so the angel of the Lord wakes up Peter. This is just a little narrative here. So just bear with me. Wakes up Peter. And the Bible says the chains fall miraculously off Peter's hands. And the angel led Peter through the first ward, through the second ward. As they approached the iron gate, the Bible says the iron gate opened of its own accord. And once Peter, once the angel gets Peter out into the street and out of the prison, the angel departs. Now, Peter along the way. Now, you got it. You just got woke up from sleep. Now, for some, that's going to make a whole different scenario than for others. Some of you, I could wake you up from sleep, and you're ready to go the moment I would tap you. Others, I would wake you up, and you're like, start the coffee pot. <laughs> you know, you, your employees don't even know you're at work until it gets, you know, 30. I don't know what the condition is of Peter, but nevertheless, the Bible says that during this journey of even going through some of the wards and the angels leading him, the Bible says that he thought he was seeing himself a vision. (laughs) I think I see my. I must be dreaming. I got me a vision going on. It wasn't until he got out into the street that the Bible says he came to himself and realized that he was outside of the prison, and this had been the deliverance of the hand of God by an angel. Now, there's something I want you to note tonight. You can pick up on anything. The angel, we already seen, man, the miraculous shackles off of him, led him through the wards, took him out, woke him up, bright light, all this stuff the angel did. But there's something that we need to denote and that there were some things the angel did not do for Peter. There are some things the angel did not do for Peter. It says that it, it says, the Bible says that it says that he raised him up, which means that that he's awakening him or arousing him. But then it spoke to him to say, rise up quickly. And then the chains fell off. The angel did not pick up Peter. The angel, you look, just scour down through there from verse 7 on. The angel did not pick him up. The angel did not gird him with his girdle. The angel did not put the shoes on Peter's feet. The angel did not drape his garment, Peter's garment around Peter. And the angel did not make him walk and follow. He asked him to. Peter had to put on his own shoes, put his own girdle on, put his own garment on, had to get up, had to walk and follow the angel. The angel of the Lord did what Peter could not do. The angel of the Lord did what Peter could not do. All the along expecting Peter to do what Peter could. What Peter could do. God spokes God sometimes very practical. Sometimes God is very practical, because God working in our lives, God working in our lives, doesn't eliminate us doing what we know we can do. Could have the angel put the shoes on his feet? Yeah. Could God have the angel put the garment around him? Absolutely. Could could God have the angel just pick him up and force him? Absolutely, all that stuff. But that is not the way that God operated. God, here's God with his angel. He's going to allow the angel to do the extraordinary. But Peter, I want you to do the ordinary. Because I know you can. Somebody hear me tonight? He says, I want you to do what I know you can do. And let me take care of the things that I know you can't do. But just because I do the things that you can't do, don't expect me to do the things you can do. Jesus shows up four days late, as it were, at the tomb of Lazarus. He's going to call that carcass out of the tomb with his great clothes and say, Lazarus, come forth. But not without first telling them that were with him at the tomb, guys, roll away the stone." Could have Jesus rolled away the stone? Absolutely. But he knew they could roll it away because they rolled it there. Now let's just think about that little episode here for a moment. Let's think about that episode here for a moment. How many times do we want God to undo what we have done? He says you put it there, you can get it out of there and let me do the supernatural, you just do the natural. Someone say amen. And so he shows up. They move away the stone. They do what they can do. And then God in Christ Jesus does what they couldn't do. He brings a dead man back to life. Could he have done both? Yes. But he did not want to circumvent involving the people. We see other places. he brings someone that was dead back to life or heals somebody that was vexed perhaps with blindness or, or this or that. And we see this all times in scriptures. We see this. Jesus is, does a miracle and then he commands those that are around or in the house that are near to them. He says, give them meat. Give them meat. Give them something to eat. Now, he could have done both, but he wants us to be involved in the process. Whenever we can do something, he wants us to do that. Someone say amen. amen. So the angel did some things. Peter did some things. Nevertheless, both the supernatural and the natural got Peter outside the prison. Uh huh. Got him outside the prison. And when he comes to himself and he considers the deliverance that has just taken place, considers what's just been provided for him. The Bible says he goes to Mary's house. This is the mother of John Mark, the John Mark that will later accompany Paul and Barnabas, the John Mark that that later Barnabas will just take and Paul will say you can have him. (laughs) The John Mark that is a cousin to Barnabas, the John Mark who is the writer of the gospel of Mark. He goes to his mother's house. He's knocking at the door and evidently said something as well because the damsel called Rhoda who came to the door. Not only heard the knocking of the door, but also heard Peter's voice, the Bible says. When she recognized it was Peter, she went back to these folks where prayer was being made. For Peter and says, Peter is at the door. Ha! It must be his angel. It must be his angel. Here's poor Peter still out there. She didn't answer the door, by the way. She's just overwhelmed with excitement. She didn't open the door. Peter's still out there knocking. Amen. He's in a very precarious situation. He's an escapee from jail, and he's on the outside of the door. And so she's telling him all this. Yeah, it truly is. And so they go back to the door. They open the door, and lo and behold, their answered prayer walked through the door. And the Bible says that whenever all of this happened, whenever they opened the door and they seen Peter walk in, the Bible says they were astonished they were astonished now folks this is a very celebratory and also sad commentary here in scripture it's great because their prayer was answered but it's sad because the people's faith in their prayers was not what it needed to be because when their answer came through the door they were astonished let me put it in terms like this: They prayed that God would do something, and they couldn't believe it that He did it. How many times? Let's be let's be real. This is just a rhetorical thing tonight. How many times when we pray, we're praying with doubt rather than belief that God's going to answer? Or stated another way, are we more surprised when God answers our prayer or when it seems like He doesn't answer our prayer? When are you more surprised when God answers you or when it seems like he doesn't? The shift of the church, I include myself in the shift. The shift of the church needs to get to a place that we become more surprised when God doesn't answer our prayer. Someone say amen. Here is, here's some irony here. It was easier for Peter to get out of prison than it was for him to get into Mary's house. Mary's house, they're having prayer meeting here. A little house church going on. And prayer, private gathering of the believers, believing for the Lord to answer prayer. Are you ready to walk just a little spiritual comparison here? Okay. A little spiritual comparison here. Is that we can leave, listen to me, we can leave people in a a lurch, if I could use that term. We can leave people in a lurch when they leave bondage easier than they can find their place in the church. Listen to me, Peter's own deliverance in the beginning was surreal to him. He thought he was seeing the vision. But he finally came to terms that he was sure, he was certain of his deliverance. Now, while he's at the house of those that have been praying for his deliverance, he can't find entrance into the house because they don't believe it's happened. Are you getting what I'm saying? How do you think this messed with Peter's mind? First, I come out delivered, I'm second guessing is this real is this a vision then I come to terms this is real I've been delivered then I go to the house where those wanted me to be delivered just the same and they're not letting me in because they don't believe I've been delivered somebody hear me tonight We're praying for the deliverance of people. We're praying for the deliverance of people that are bound in their own world and their own sin. And yet sometimes they come to the door of the house of God where prayers have been made and they want to get in the house, but nobody's saying you can come in because they don't think that they're delivered yet. We can't believe that God's answered our prayer, that he reached down to that depth or that extent and got you where. What will that do for a person then that's already been waffling back and forth whether or not their deliverance is real? They're going to think perhaps go the opposite direction. Maybe I'm not delivered. Did you follow me? So he comes in. They're astonished. He he beckons with his hand, has them to hold their peace, and he retells the story of his deliverance from jail, the one that he was uncertain about, the one, though, that he became sure of. He retells his story to them. He says very plainly, I want you to go and tell this to James. Of course, not the dead James, but the James will be the writer of the book of James. Jesus half brother and to the brethren. And the Bible says that Peter departs, as it were. He goes into another place. We don't know what that place was. Scripture doesn't doesn't denote what that place was. Amen. But he went to some other place. Evidently, it's a pretty good hiding place. Because whenever Herod and the soldiers realize what happens the next morn, the morn of execution, honey, they're scurrying around. (laughs) The escape artist Peter is at it again. Where is he? Well, I don't know where he is. They went and they sought for him. They couldn't find him anywhere, nowhere to be found. So he found a pretty good hiding place. And so Herod just followed through with the custom of that area in that time. It was a life for a life. If you were watching over a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, then you now get the penalty of the prisoner upon you. You go die. And so he killed him. Had him killed, had him dead. And so Herod, no doubt this was a little bit of embarrassment for him because he know political leader that he is. He was getting the votes of the Jews. This was going to increase the polls, you know, and all of a sudden, he don't have his man he was going to execute today. Now, that's embarrassing, isn't it? Don't have him, don't know where he's at. And so rather than stay around Judea, the Bible says he goes off into Caesarea, a good time for a vacation. Man, he's a great politician. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. I think it's a good time to go vacation somewhere far away. News media won't be there. Nevertheless, anyway, he goes to Caesarea. And so we have a transition that takes here in scripture because whenever whenever Peter departs there, remember, if you remember all the way back when we started this thing, there are two main characters that act centers around one being Peter, the other one being Paul. We have watched Peter a lot be centered around Peter, these first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. But Peter is going off the scene. We're really not going to see much of Peter again maybe Acts 15 a little bit, but we're not going to see any of Peter much anymore. Now Paul's going to surface as the main character from this point forward throughout the rest of the book of Acts. There's a transition that had taken place where Peter once dominated. Now Paul is going to dominate, amen, and minister as well now to the Gentiles, which was spoken to him that he would do. Now, when we look at these last verses, like chapter 12, verses 20 on, you start reading this thing, man, Luke, buddy, you know, a pretty good writer and everything, but you kind of jumped the horse here, you know. This where does this really fit in with everything that's going on here, you know? All right, I applaud your effort, but huh. and we look at these last few verses, think, man, this is out of place. But in reality, I think they, they're placed quite well, because in the beginning of the chapter, Herod killed James. He intends to do the same to Peter. As a result. He's benefiting from the praise and the favor of the Jews, the praise and the favor of men. But right here in the closing verses, the very thing he was working for in the beginning will be the very thing that becomes his demise, Herod's demise in the end. It will be the praise and the favor of men that seals the nail in his coffin, so to speak. So the Bible opens up verse 20 how Herod, Was displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. And the relationship between him and Tyre and Sidon is this. The people of Tyre and Sidon. They had to depend upon Herod. They had to depend upon Rome. For their food supply. So if Rome ever got upset at them. All they had to do is start squelching back the food supply. That was their means of control. And so he's a little displeased with them. And uh, they are displeased with him because evidently they're suffering. And so they want to be on the good side of Herod because their fam- their families are going to be fed and their bellies are going to be full when they're on the good side of him since he has control of their food. And so Herod, the Bible says, comes before them here in certain days. And they had come before him, the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they come before him for peace. They want to make peace. They want to get on the good side of Herod. And so Herod shows himself. He shows up. And the people did. They knew Herod. They did exactly what he needed. He fed them natural food, and they were going to feed him his ego. Here comes Herod and all of his royalty and entourage and garments of splendor before the people. And son, they start hollering out, it's the voice of a God. Here's Herod a man. It's the voice of a God that we are hearing, not of man. Folks, man, that was like stroking Herod's back head. Whoosh. Pats on the back. He could feel it. Man, smile across his face. His chest puffed out just about three more inches. Because, listen, the very thing that he wanted from people for killing James and trying to kill Peter was that praise. That favor. Somebody to speak well of him. But now what he didn't totally get from there because Peter escaped. Now he's getting from these people right here. And so he didn't deny him. He didn't say, no, no, I'm too modest. That's not me. No. He doesn't say a word. They just keep laying it on. It's like he's accepting it all. And so he doesn't deny it. So he must be accepting it. The very words, that praise, that favor that he's feeding, man, it feeds that raging, though, pride that's in his life. And that pride will be the undoing of Herod. And so as the story goes, the moment that he's accepting all this, the Bible says immediately the angel of the Lord smote him with worms. That's very flattering, isn't it? Josephus says it was about three or five days that those worms ate within the intestines, as it were, of Herod until it took his life. Oh, what glory in that. And so look, the tables are turned. He kills James, Peter is bound, Herod is praised. But in the end, James, yes, was killed, Peter was released, Herod was praised, but it brought about his death. And that angel smote him, with work. now I don't know this, it, It'd be awful interesting if the same angel that delivered Peter gave him worms. (laughs) Anyway, poetic justice. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. The Bible says, I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I will not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Last week we talked about who can withstand God. The answer, of course, is no one can. Not even a king as illustrated here in chapter 12, such as Herod. Herod falls powerless before the Lord because as men are trying to give him glory, he doesn't push it off and direct it where it needs to go, but he accepts it. We see in the scriptures, the disciples many times are approached with people with oxen and stuff, going to offer up sacrifice. Oh, this is Jupiter, and this is Mercurius, and we're going to praise and worship. And they say, no, wait a minute. We even see Peter did that with Cornelius. Remember Cornelius, they said, get up, I'm a man. And They all time, anytime they're about ready to get praise for whatever it is. Was it a miracle that just happened? Whatever people try to do, that. they said, no, 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 I'm a man. Get up. There's no one that deserves praise but God. Herod failed. Herod failed in this matter. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 30. Look at this. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel, against the Lord what all of this means is this folks: when any man or nation fights against God they have chosen to fight a losing battle from the go yes absolutely Adam and Eve here's the command of the tree you want to fight against that death Cain and Abel Here's the means in which sacrifice should be done. You want to fight against that? Problems. Huh? Noah, the only righteous one in his generation, upholds all this righteousness. Other people don't want to come. They fight against God. Lot. Huh? Jacob, Esau. You can go on down the line through Scripture. When people turn themselves in opposition to God, They have automatically put themselves on the losing side. Time and time and time again. Amen. Now, what's so interesting about this, in my opinion, like from a bird's eye view, is the fact. Herod, being a part of the Roman government, took the life, of course, of James. That sat well in the eyes of the Jews. He was going to do the same with Peter. In other words, he was turning in such a direction that Rome was coming forth with a mighty heavy stick against Christianity. All right. And so if Rome got a little bit of that taste in their mouth where it became a norm, the history of the church, the history of what we have in our Bible would have been a little different because it's whenever Paul is seen in the rest of the chapter that he even leans heavily on the fact that he was a Roman citizen. And that brings him before governors. Rome, in many instances, protected Paul, who was a Christian, throughout the rest of Acts. And I'm just throwing this out here to think about, had not Herod been taken care of at that moment in time and had swung open this door to have the Roman government against Christianity, there would have been a greater uphill climb. Even whenever Paul came into place, Whenever you start fighting against God. Boom. Now, look, verse 24. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a close. I've been only up here 50 minutes, folks. Only 50 minutes. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Things were going great. Herod started vexing the church, started his antics. Killed James imprisoned Peter. The people prayed, but were doubtful. Even whenever the prayers were answered about the effectiveness of their prayers, but the word of God grew. And multiplied. In other words, you have all this, etc., etc., etc. This is bad. This is horrible. This is bad, 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 bad. man. This is topsy turvy. We were really doing good. Now down in the mouth, blah blah blah. But the word of God grew and multiplied. What they say? Throw all the dirt you want. You throw the dirt on the seed, you're just burying it to spring forth to grow. Persecute all you want. Imprison, kill whoever you want. But it's not going to stop the word of God from growing and multiplying. Here is something that Paul told Timothy, and I'm closing with this, if you'll stand with me. This is what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9. Paul, who had been through... Uh, many imprisonments himself and had suffered much. And he goes through his uh, portfolio in the Corinthians, how he suffered of his own brother. He had been shipwrecked, had received 39 stripes on multiple occasions, a night in the cold, a night in the deep, all of this stuff that he speaks about. And he tells Timothy, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even into bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Mm-hmm. So you can you you can have your life put in the press. The word of God's not bound. You you can take all of hell onslaught against you, but God's word's not bound. It's not subjected. To those things. Paul says, I was incarcerated time after time. It seemed like I just went from place to place just to the, my next prison. And I even, here I am in prison and seemingly just even died there, you know, from there to death in prison. This has been the story of my life. But you know what? All along the time while I'm sitting in jail cells, here, let me write a letter to the Philippians and let me write a letter to Colossians, and let me write a letter here. All the time, people come visit me. They didn't, they didn't disallow them. They could come and visit me. But all the time, I'm writing letters inspired of heaven, inspired of God, and word getting out and churches that are planted they're growing and churches that I minister to they're having other works that's starting from them because God's word is not someone say hallelujah no wonder some of those in the New Testament scripture even when a man could not get to them they said just send the word Just send the word because God's word is not bound. And the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but God's word will stand forever. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass until all is fulfilled. His word is not bound. Mm, Now let me preach for 45 minutes. Found fighting against God. You're fighting. See saying bye bye? Who told him to say that? <laughs> You're fighting a losing battle. <laughs> Amen. Now he had to learn that from somewhere. <laughs> Amen. Amen, amen. We'll go on to chapter 13 next week. Do not expect me to get through 52 verses next week. Just tell you right up. front. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.